This is a sacred time together. We sit under the preaching of the word. The Lord will use a weak and sinful instrument to speak to your soul in this time. So hear, but be listening primarily for a faithful unpacking of the words that we just heard read from scripture. All right, today we come across a rocket fuel text of scripture that is supposed to stir in your soul an optimism for what the Lord intends to do in you and through you as you give yourself to the work of the gospel, a relentless gospel optimism. Okay, let's talk about this together. Who in this room would say, my natural disposition is pessimist? I'm like a pessimistic type. Okay, your first thought, your immediate reaction is, yeah, that's probably not going to work out very well. In kindergarten, when your teacher said, what color would you like for a crayon? You said, (laughs) dark gray, something in the gray category. Uh, Who was your favorite character from Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore, he gets me. Five minutes into a Celtics game, they're down by three. What are you doing? Give me the remote. This game's over. These guys are terrible. Fire Stevens. Boss calls you into your office. What are you immediately assuming is about to go down? I'm either getting fired or I'm getting transferred to Texas. Oh, God. (laughs) You get on a plane, the first sign of turbulence. What do you do? You grab the side of the seat of the person next to you. I knew they were lying about the drive to the airport being safer than the flight to where I was going. Two categories for you. Bad, worse, your glass is always naturally half full. Okay, that's all right. We love you pessimists. How many people do we have in the room who would say, I am a natural optimist? Okay? We got two sitting next to each other. Watch out on that side of the room. Alarm clock goes off. Boom! You got this smile on. Every day is going to be super duper, ooper duper, super duper awesome. What color crayon did you ask for? All right. I was thinking super bright sky blue. You're watching the Celts. They're down by 40. Three minutes to go. What are you saying? Rally cap. Let's go. Boss calls you into his office. What's going to happen? Corner office, raise, promotion, and they're firing that guy I don't like. You get on a plane, and the pilot and the co-pilot both have heart attacks. What are you thinking? I got this. Just give me the headset. Come on. I've played video games before. Awesome and wicked awesome. Those are your categories. You only have two. The glass is not just half full. It is ginger ale, shook up and bubbling over. That's just naturally who I am. Okay, we're always going to have both in the life of a family. To a degree, both are needed. Here's what I need you to get from our text today. Whatever your natural disposition is, when it comes to Jesus and his spirit and his gospel, all of us should live from a place of hopeful optimism. Another way to say that to you is to say that there's a certain kind of optimism that all of us should take into our living of the Christian life. 
All right, let me pray. I'll set this text up and we'll get into it. Father, if you don't enlighten us, animate us, illuminate us, we're just blind. And in fact, I would be the blind leading the blind this morning. But you are the light of the world. Your spirit has been given to us. We can apprehend truth together. I pray that you be gracious and let us do it for your glory. Hear my prayer. Amen. All right, ever have a moment in your life as a parent where your kids really please you? And sometimes that comes out of nowhere. So I had this great moment of pleasure when my freshman in high school came home and said, Dad, Mom, I think I'm going to play rugby this spring. What dad doesn't get pumped up if his son is tough enough to say, I'm going out for the rugby team? All right, so I've never been to a rugby game before. Went to his first meet. You actually play against several opponents. It's more like a wrestling match. And uh, in the first 15 minutes, they got absolutely pounded by St. John's Prep. Just imagine eight guys the size of Gronk in polo shirts. Just (laughs) mauled them. In the game against Catholic Memorial, things went a lot better, and I got to see how rugby works. This is basically how it works. Most of the time, a runner catches the ball, and they gain maybe a yard or maybe two scrums and sprints, maybe a yard or maybe two, and then they just fall into this scrum on the field. By scrum, I mean there's a cleat in your head, and there's Somebody's sitting on the bottom half of you and your face is in the dirt and you're trying to flip the ball to the next person. And this happens over and over again. Scrums were the norm in moving down the field, Uh, making progress very slowly and it kind of hurts, but you're getting somewhere. Big hurt, little bit of progress. Then all of a sudden on this one play, there was a lateral to our son and this lane just opened up before him. And he went running through that thing, holding the weird-sized rugby ball 60 yards down the field into the end zone. I don't know if it's a touchdown. That's what I called it. I was like, spike that thing. (laughs) Scrum, 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 scrum. And then all of a sudden, this glorious success, this great advance, this sprint to the end zone. You feel that? This is, in a sense the rhythm of the gospel life. It's the rhythm of all church planting. It's the rhythm of gospel community. It's the rhythm of raising children. It's the rhythm of loving your neighbors, whether you're a parent or a pastor or just a Christian on your block. A lot of times you're putting forward a lot of effort and there's a lot of opposition and you feel like you're not making any headway. And that can be very discouraging. Now, It shouldn't be, praise God, that that's how this works for us. We all want famous and fast and furious in a hurry, right? We want just touchdown after touchdown and sprint after sprint. But if that's the way that Jesus set things up, it would actually kill you. It would kill me. Can you imagine the temptation toward pride if all you did was sprint? Can you imagine the temptation towards self-sufficiency if all you did was sprint, if it was just no opposition and a bunch of touchdowns? Jesus knows the danger that would be for our souls, and so he has ordained that our daily bread is basically a scrum and a couple of yards and move it forward. But also in his grace, also because he knows that you need it 
that I need it. Sometimes Jesus, who's as alive as you are right now, says, whoosh. And he gives us a season of just gospel advance where things move downfield in leaps and bounds. Today's story from the book of Acts, this text given to you by the Spirit, is in here to remind you that that is also true and to compel you to begin to live with an optimism about the gospel work that the Lord has called you to. All right, let's set the context before we get to the words themselves. Jesus' apostle Paul has been putting forward some serious gospel effort. He's going city to city to city to city, pleading with people, reasoning with them that they might see Christ for who he is. Because if we can just see Jesus one time for who he is, everything changes. Five cities in a row, five scrums in a row. Okay, you got to feel this with me. Philippi puts in gospel effort. He gets stripped naked in public and beaten and embarrassed and put in prison. And not just Martha Stewart prison, prison in stocks for the night. He suffers harm. He sees a little bit of a fruit, a little church is planted, but that took a lot of effort. He moves on to the city of Thessalonica. He's not even there for three or four weeks, and a riot explodes around him and his work. Some of his close friends get arrested and beat up. He gets chased out of the city in the middle of the night. When we read the book of Thessalonians, we see how nervous he was. He didn't even know if the church was going to survive. There was only like so few people and so little time. Discouraging. He runs to the city of Berea, and now it seems like things are going to go well. People are actually showing up to his synagogue with their Bibles open and saying, tell me about Jesus. Just when he thinks there's going to be some gospel push, the Jews from Thessalonica come down to Berea, and they hassle him, and they chase him out of that city. He has to go alone to the city of Athens. He stands up in the Areopagus, and he shares Christ. And they call him a babbler. This was a brilliant, trained theologian. And they called him a babbler. I mean, that would have hurt. This is like when my dad calls Laurel a fiddler. She is the best viola player I have ever heard in my life. Like elite mad skills. And then he calls her a fiddler. It's like, that would hurt. We haven't done soul care on that, but, and almost no fruit at all in the city of Athens. And then he gets to the city of Philippi, and this is our text here, I mean to Corinth, and this is our text here, let's look at the words together. He gets to Corinth, and we read that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So this is his routine. He goes into the synagogue. That's where the older covenant people who were familiar with the law and the prophets and the promises would be. He always wanted to start with them. It says that he occupied himself with the word. This means he went 100% all in to this work. He had been doing some tent making, 
But Silas and Timothy brought some capital cash from Macedonia. So he was going 24-7 trying to make disciples of these Jews. He's back at it. This is amazing. A fifth time in a row. All in for Jesus. And how does it go? They opposed and reviled him. Oh man, can you feel this? Here we go again. Opposed is like a military term. This is the opposing army all lined up against you with their catapults and their swords and their javelins ready to go, ready for battle. This word reviled is a horrible word. This is where we get the word blasphemy from. It sounds like blasphemy in the original language Greek. It means to slander and cut and attack. You know TMZ, that awful show where they just cut people down and assault their character? This is like a a TMZ anchor right here. He is reviled. He is opposed. Can everybody in this room feel the muscle memory kicking in? He's moved toward people in gospel love. And again, boom, he is tackled two feet in. What does he do? Amy read this to us. He shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, I know that that response there may sound like all tough guy to you. It's a symbolic action to shake your garments and say you didn't want any part of this. But this is not tough guy right here. This is not callous. We read about Paul's heart when this happened to him. He says in the book of Romans, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my soul when the Jews reject the gospel of the Messiah. In other words, when this happened again for a fifth time, Paul was discouraged, he was disheartened, he was devastated. How optimistic do you think he is right now about opening his mouth again to the Gentiles now about Jesus? Do you think his soul is Eori or Tiggory right here? You think the glass is half empty or half full? Every commentator on this text is agreed. John MacArthur, this was a discouraged, depressed disheartened, weary, tired apostle. John Calvin, how can I say this in a 1500s voice? I'd have to say it in Latin or uh, whatever language they were speaking, it wasn't Latin. There was laid upon this holy man a great weight of ministry under which he might not only sweat but almost faint unless he had been set on foot again and refreshed with some new help. Here's R.C. Sproul. Even Paul is now beginning to lose his nerve. The truth is that we don't need the commentators to help us understand this. We have in Scripture Paul's soul laid out for us because he would write to these Corinthians several years after this. This is how he said he was feeling right now. I was with you in weakness 
and in fear and in much trembling. Of course he is. This whole missionary journey has been a rugby scrum. He's been on the run. He's been beaten on. There hasn't been a whole lot of fruit. He is weak and tired, and he is tempted to tap out. I'm done here. Okay, let me give you a few illustrations, because if you don't feel this, you're going to miss the power of the next verse of Scripture. Okay, here's one. Several years ago, Miami, Florida, Grace and I were vacationing. It was one of our birthdays, just a beautiful few days together. On our way to the airport, we were going to grab lunch. We pulled into this parking lot. It had been pouring rain, as it tends to do in South Florida. Nobody told me that the curbs in this parking lot were not shaped like normal curbs, 90-degree angle, but they were some fancy South Beach octagon curbs. And so I'm trying to find a parking spot, and all of a sudden, this car we went in goes down in this octagon divot, but doom, 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 and both the right rear and right front tires blow out immediately. All right, so we have a big fight, you know, and then uh, we call AAA, and we slowly make our way to the airport. It's a funny story if you ever want to laugh with me. The next time we were in Miami for an Acts 29 conference, same parking lot, going to grab lunch at the same place. How close do you think I came to the curbs in that parking lot? I didn't pull within 16 feet of a curb. I parked this little Fiat across like five lanes just to avoid that happening again. Muscle memory. I'm not going near that. You feel that? That's Paul's spirit right here. All right, Sargent Street. You know that one? It runs from the Woodlawn Cemetery to Broadway in Revere. I drive down that street every day to get to my day job, and you got to drive underneath Route 1. There's a big underpass, overpass, whichever you prefer. Crazy cycle happens in this under overpass. Bunch of kids graffiti and tag it up. The DPW comes, and they paint it gray. Kids come back and graffiti and tag it up. The DPW comes back and paints it gray. The kids come back, and they graffiti and tag it up. The DPW comes back and paints it gray. If you worked for the DPW in Revere, what would you be tempted to do at this point? Hide out with an AK and a really hungry pit bull, maybe, in the shadows? I didn't actually say that. (laughs) What would you be tempted to do? Just go to your boss and say, hey, I'm done here. I'm I'm not going. This is futile. It's the same thing happening over and over again, man. The plan's not working. I'm not going back and painting those walls again. Everybody feel that? Fear, despair of futility? Okay, how about this one? My Aunt Stella failed the driving exam, you know, to get your license? Seven times. You know the 35-point term? She mastered that thing. She lived in Brooklyn, and all of the driver's ed places had a picture of her up above the desk at the receptionist. Do not allow this woman in our cars. Fire hydrants, cats, dogs, trees, curbs, you name it, and her car met it. Eventually, what did uh, Aunt Stella, if you're from New York, Aunt Stella, if you're from here, what did she do? She just said, I'm done. I'm just not getting my license. I'm not going through the shame and the heartache and the difficulty of failing another driver's exam. Do you feel that? That's Paul's soul right here. 
All right, let me give you one more so that you do not miss this. Have you ever met a sweet, pretty, savvy, cute, Jesus-loving girl? And part of her soul's desire is to meet a great man who she can marry and build a life with. And so she begins to date knuckleheads like the guys in this room. And it goes, it goes bad for a while there. And then she meets somebody and she thinks he might be the one. And he's like, hey, you want to go catch the premiere of Star Wars, The Force Awakens? She's like, yeah, sure, let's go. He picks her up and he's full on in an Obi-Wan Kenobi costume. I'm talking robes, sandals, a little lightsaber from KB Toys. On the way to Showcase Cinemas in Revere, he stops at his mom's house to drop off his laundry. His phone rings and Florida Georgia line is the ringtone. They come up to the cashier and he wants to split the cost of the movie. What does she know right away? This is not the one. And I'm tired of the futility and the pain of this process. I'm not going back in. I need, I need some time. I need to breathe. Okay, whatever your favorite analogy is in there, if you can feel that reality, now you are ready for me to read the next verse of Scripture with you because it's beautiful. Into that reality, Jesus speaks these words. The Lord said one night to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Okay, let's work this text phrase by phrase. Most common command in Scripture. What is it? Most common command in Scripture. Anybody know? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be scared. What does that tell you? We are terrified in trying to follow Jesus all the time. In our men's retreat, we grabbed Sharpie markers. We went on the walls of this room, and we wrote down everything that scares us to death. I'm scared that I'm going to run out of money. I'm scared that I'm going to mess up my kids. I'm scared that my wife is going to lose her affections for me and just say, I'm out. I'm scared that I'm going to lose my job if I also confess Christ. I am scared that I'm never going to shake free from my porn addiction. I'm scared. I'm scared. If Paul was at our retreat and he had a marker, he would have written up these two things on the wall. He would have said, I'm afraid of getting hurt again. And I am afraid of futility in my work. I'm afraid of getting hurt again. And I'm just scared of not seeing a lot of fruit again. What is Jesus' words to Paul after he writes that up on the wall? Don't be afraid. Don't play scared. Don't fear. Keep going. Keep pressing. Throw yourself into your gospel efforts. Don't be afraid. It's a command of Jesus. He anchors it into these three loving, awesome grounds. The first one is the big one. This is true in every circumstance, every second of your life. The reason that we don't fear in life, for I am with you. This is the big, broad, beautiful gospel promise that grounds all of our gospel efforts. This is the ground of all of your Christian courage. 
This is what puts steel in the spine of a believer. This is the tonic that we drink that vaporizes fear. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. And that changes everything. Fear is nothing more than disbelief in this promise right here. We just don't want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is in all of his glory and power and strength and goodness and love and might. And we don't want to believe that he's with us and he's for us. But if we get there, everything changes. Sometimes we just need to be reminded. You will see this promise all over scripture from beginning to end. It's going to be okay. I'm with you and I'm for you. In love, Jesus always starts there. Then he moves to some specific, beautiful promises to Paul in this story. And the first one is this. I promise no one will attack to harm you. Oh, man. I need you to feel the tender love and grace of Jesus in stepping in with this promise right here. Five straight episodes of harm, but now Jesus promises a reprieve. Paul, don't be afraid. I know you've endured some suffering, and there was some glory in it, but this next stretch, I'm not going to let anybody touch you. Jesus knows when you have reached the limits of what your endurance can take. He knows. He does not allow us to be tested beyond what we can manage by the Spirit that is with us. He loves us. He's for us. He's with us. And if he sees that we need a season to breathe, to heal without pain, he gives it to us. 18 months of doing gospel work in this city and nobody touches the apostle. Nobody touches him. Even when it looks like he's going to be in trouble and Amy read to us that he gets thrown before the pagan, wicked, ungodly rulers, they defend him and he walks out untouched and unharmed. How about the power of Jesus to use even the biggest threat to us and turning it for our peace and our good. Jesus knows that Paul needs some time to breathe here and he steps in and he promises, don't be afraid, no one's going to harm you. Now that would be enough right there for him to go, okay, I can keep going. But Jesus doesn't stop there. This would be so good for him a stretch with no harm. But do you know what would really thrill Paul's soul right here? If Jesus would also step in and say, and I'm going to let you see some fruit from your work. And so not only does Jesus address his fear of harm, but watch this, he addresses his fear of futility. And here's this Crazy beautiful verse. I have many 
in this city who are my people. Paul, I got many in this city who are my people. Okay, let's be very careful and clear with these words. Here's what we cannot do with this text of Scripture. We cannot woodenly name and claim this verse as if Jesus always does this in every circumstance like he is doing with Paul in Corinth. Uh, There's a ton of moving parts with all of our gospel efforts, right? Just a lot of moving parts. Sometimes good gospel efforts of yours bear no fruit. Sometimes good gospel efforts of yours bear little fruit. We cannot presume that just because this verse of Scripture is in a story from the book of Acts, ooh, we are guaranteed to grow a giant church or a giant ministry together. That's not what this is. I have seen this verse co-opted in that kind of a way. We would call that dirty hermeneutics, or it's just a presumptuous optimism. Oh, this verse is in here, so it's got to happen with me. A presumptuous optimism. So we don't want to go there. But if we are honest, that's not the problem in a church like ours. I love you guys. I know you guys. That's not your problem with this verse. Our problem is that we don't believe that these words are ever true anywhere at all. That's our problem. We don't believe that this promise really happened in Corinth. Ah, And maybe if it did, never going to happen again. Certainly not in Massachusetts. We look at our lives and our work and our neighbors. I grabbed a sandwich down here at, oh, they don't call it that, but at Dunkin' Donuts and just was like paying attention to the 30 people who walk through on a Sunday morning. And you could very easily shake your head and say, there is no shot that these people are ever going to see Jesus in his glory. In other words, our tendency is Jesus would never bless us with a sprint. Jesus would never bless us with a sprint. If you read this text and that's how you respond, that would be presumptuous pessimism. It would be just as dirty hermeneutics, only in a sense even worse. What this verse of Scripture does, you should memorize it, it gives you a window into the soul the heart of God. Jesus is pleading with you here, pleading with you. I am always in active pursuit of a people to win them for my Father's glory. Don't forget that. From all nations and all peoples and all cities, there's going to be a people who are mine. Saving sinners by the work of the gospel. It's what I do. And big, bad, filthy Corinth is not some exception or much too difficult place for this to get done. I love to bless the gospel efforts of my people, not just with scrums, but also with sprints. Gospel optimism says yes to these words of the Spirit. Gospel optimism says, I'm going to get up every day, 
and scrum to the glory of God. But I also am believing that whenever he wants, he can give me a sprint. Gospel optimism says Jesus has a people and he is going to win them and he just needs somebody to believe that to be true and to get serious about praying and loving and building and serving and giving and going and I'm going to be a part of the people who say yes to that. Let's do it. I don't know any other way to live my life. I don't know any other way for us to be about the life and mission of our church and our gospel communities than to do it with these words ringing in my ears, ringing in my soul. Matt, I got four people in your house, little ones who are mine. Go get them. Let's do this. Matt, I got people in this city right here who are mine. Let's build a church that goes and gets them. Let's do this. Matt, I got a whole globe of people who are mine. I don't know how we go do that, but let's do this. Let's believe that Jesus loves to do this. I've got many in this city who are my people. Jesus wants you to live with that kind of a holy optimism, to live like these words are perpetually true. In fact, to live any other way is to dishonor Jesus and to miss out on his intentions for you and for us. And I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Here's our last verse. It says, And Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. In other words, Jesus kept his promise. Jesus kept his promise. 18 months would have felt like an eternity for Paul. You're like asking me to back to back to back watch sitcoms. It just feels like forever after 11 minutes. 18 months, no harm, doing the work of the gospel. Many Corinthians, the text says, came to believe. It's beautiful. Our application, very simple, very simple. Do you believe in your bones that Jesus, for his Father's glory, for your joy, for the good of the people that we are sent to, intends to bless our gospel efforts? Do you believe that down in your bones? Do you believe that Jesus can get some big, beautiful things done through your life, through our church? That if we would just give 10, 20 years of sticking together, believing, praying, loving, serving, gospeling, that Jesus would give us tons of scrums and a bunch of sprints. Do you believe that? Jesus commands you to believe it. Don't fear. I'm with you. We are dead 
If our immediate, energetic, excited default answer to that question is not, yes, I believe it. There's no other way to live. We helped Suzanne, Henry, Casey move into their new place in Stoneham, and I got to meet the whole extended townie family of Suzanne's. It was great. We worked hard. We broke a sweat. Got to ask a bunch of questions, just get to know them and love them. Do I have a simple default gospel optimism that says, of course Jesus could use Suzanne and Casey and Henry to bring the light of the gospel to her family or not? There's no other way to live faithfully but to say, yeah, super bright blue crayon for me. I want to live like the Lord can do that. This gospel community night last night shares a meal with two townies in our town. Talking about this book, they're like, you got to come to our house next time. Great. I don't know if they'll ever believe the gospel. I don't know how we'll love and serve them. But when I prayed last night, I had some optimism in my soul. Because this is the Jesus that I serve. This is the Jesus who's alive and well and has a people somewhere for his glory in this city. You got to just live like this. It's true. If you're generally pessimistic, whatever. If you're pessimistic about the power of God in Christ, repent and believe. I want to be a part of a people who are just relentlessly optimism optimistic about what Jesus can do. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would work expectancy in the souls of the people in this room. Not that our friends and neighbors and family are projects, of course not, but that they're people and that you've got people in every city on this earth who are yours and that you may use us to win them. I pray for the pessimists in the room that they would be corrected this morning and that they would see who Jesus is and see that he's with them and start to live with a hopeful expectancy. I pray for the workers in this room who have been believing and it's been scrum after scrum after scrum and they're discouraged. And I pray that they would feel the warmth and the love and the grace of Jesus. And I pray that on this street corner and wherever else you would have it, that you would fashion a people who have optimism, expectancy about the power of God in Christ, about his intention sometimes that we might sprint and that Jesus' glory would be known. Would you let these words take root in our heart? Would you change us that we might live differently from here? I pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.